Goodwill Podcasting. How's it going? I'm excited for the rebrand. So am I. Yeah, getting away from the buttered popcorn. I was always worried about the other two, like popcorn podcast and buttered popcorn. Mm-hmm. And I like this play on words with our combined favorite movie. Yeah, it's definitely a good move. Um, and nice. I mean, it's it's so tough to find unique names that like aren't taken, I feel like, at this point. But uh, I think we settled on something good. So yeah. looking forward to it. And something that's more like, you know, personal to both of us. Yeah, yeah. Less generic, more uh, more in line with what we like. So, yeah. A lot easier to make uh, some plans too for like new logos and everything. Yeah, there. Yeah, there's a ton to work off of for sure, um, which I'm sure we'll play with uh, in the near future. Yeah, and it'll be huge the day we ever get Matt Damon on this podcast. <laughs> Do you imagine? Uh, it'll happen. I'm speaking into fruition now. Got to put it out there. Uh, now, before we get into our usual movies, how do we feel about the Eagles this weekend? Um, I feel great. I think Washington's terrible. Um, I actually expected them to be a little better than they are, but they're just kind of a mess, and their defense is a mess. Um, Howell's not playing well. They have no line. I don't really see them being able to block uh, Jalen Carter, Jordan Davis, all them guys. Um, Fletcher Cox. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, when you're rotating in Fletcher Cox and Brandon Graham, like things are good. So, uh, yeah, I feel good about it. Um Dude, do you see that the commanders are in a lawsuit right now? No. I think it's the Native American Guardians group is suing them because they won't change their name back. Really? Yeah, it's some, like, long history, but they want it back because, I mean, one, like, when they were the Redskins, they would, you know, honor Native Americans before every home game. They would donate money back to, I think, that association. And then also they're like claiming that that uh, logo that they used was a certain chief from one of the tribes who was like a war hero to them. And so it was actually an honor. It wasn't, you know, what everyone got offended about. (laughs) I didn't know that. Yeah. I mean, I feel like at some point there probably has to be some kind of movement. Like I don't, I don't see it going back, but I feel like it has to change again. It's right now. Like it's just such a stupid name and it feels like, like, they spent so much time coming up with that, and it feels like, you know, you could have asked any, like, fifth grader who has his Madden franchise on the street, like, what what should we name this team? We might say the Commanders. Like, I don't yeah. Um, I feel like it's not going to stick. I like the football team better than I like the Commanders. Yeah, I, I really didn't mind that. Um, it was unique and, like, didn't feel generic. Um, yeah, I, I like that, too. And I feel like a good amount of people did, but – uh, now we have this, but they're, I mean, they're so irrelevant. I, I can't Yeah, if lose this game. Uh, something's wrong, but yeah, but it's a defamation lawsuit. So we'll see how it goes. Yeah. That's interesting. I want to mean, I'm, I'm assuming that'll take a good chunk of time to get sorted out. Um, how do you feel about the Niners this week? Who are they, who are they playing? Who do we have this weekend? I have their defense in fantasy and I remember looking at it and being happy. Oh but- yeah. We have the Cardinals. Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, I will say they've played really, really tough the last two weeks. I mean, they smoked the Cowboys and they were up on the Giants. I mean, the Giants aren't good. And that's because the De- Cowboys have this one huge downfall called Dak Prescott. <laughs> yeah, that's he's a liability um, for sure. But I think, you know, any NFL team, if you if you disrespect them or sleep on them too much, like they can surprise you. 
Which, I mean, could happen to the Eagles this week, too. But That's definitely fair. I mean, yeah, I definitely thought the Cardinals were like a three-win team this year. Yeah, they're just – they're playing hard, and Josh Dobbs has been like, okay, so. Yeah, he's surprisingly good. He's got like yeah. a top 10 QBR right now through week three. Yeah, I mean, he um, he was lighting up the Cowboys, so. Uh, good. <laughs> yeah, interesting. I might hate the Cowboys as much as you do. Yeah, they're just – and it's really it's a combination of things. But the fan base is so obnoxious. Just like they talk like they've won three or four Super Bowls in the last. And like I have a friend who's a Cowboys fan. I think he's like maybe twenty five. And I'm like, you've seen them? Have you seen them win a playoff game? Like you've rarely seen them win anything. So like, what do you? You talk about Super Bowls from like before you were born. I just let's calm down on calling other fan bases obnoxious. <laughs> you're a Philly fan. Yeah, but. I don't know. I think it's a little more good natured, and at least we've won something, you know. That's fair. That's fair. All right. Anyway, past our usual football bullshit. Yep. God, what are we gonna do next summer when football's over? <laughs> Just go I'll right know. into the movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'll always talk baseball, but I know not too many people are. Uh... Are you a baseball fan at all? I am. I'm a Red Sox fan. Okay. I like the Red. When I was young, uh, I would always like pull for the Red Sox in the AL. Um, back when they had like Johnny Damon and uh Big Poppy and Manny Ramirez, all those guys. Um, Manny's like, one of my favorite players of all time. He was the man, and he was, I mean, he's he was incredible too. Like, he was just so fun to watch. Um, all their teams were like fun, likable guys. Like, I, I like those Red Sox teams, and I didn't like those Yankees teams. So, um, yeah, I hate the the played, we played them twice, uh, or played them in the World Series in 2009 and lost. So, that was painful. Yeah, my best friend is a Yankees fan. The guy who married my wife and I. Okay. But he has a decent excuse for it. His dad played for the Yankees farm team. So, okay. So you got no choice. Yeah, I'll, I'll let that one slide. Yeah, that's fair. All right, let's jump right into our uh, movies. So we're doing uh, Jim Carrey's probably two best. Truman Show and Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Yeah. So up first, Truman Show. 1998. Truman Burbank is the star of The Truman Show, a 24-hour daily reality TV show that broadcasts in every aspect of his life without his knowledge. His entire life has been an unending soap opera for consumption by the rest of the world and everyone he knows, including his wife and his best friend, is really an actor paid to be a part of his life. It's a classic. It is. It's And it's very funny, too, because like I've heard, I wasn't alive to even tell you like when it was coming out but everyone was like a little skeptical of it because carrie you know is a comedic actor yeah um what something i love uh one of the things i love the most when i'm seeing a movie in general is getting to see an actor get out of typecasting i think um usually it it's really enjoyable and i find that even if they're not in the best movie it's really cool to just get to see them try something new and like have a different performance and just kind of like get to be creative and get out of whatever they're used to. So that's something I really enjoy. Uh, and I think, you know, I feel like with this more so than eternal sunshine, it is still, there is still a little bit of that, his energy, like it's still there. Um, you can feel it in moments, but uh, there's also kind of that whole other like element of existential dread that makes it very, <laughs> very different. But um 
Yeah, I think this one still allowed him to have some comedic, you know, parts, whereas Eternal is like more of a darker themed movie for sure. Yeah. But this one, you know, like he still got to like be mostly Jim Carrey. Yeah, it's definitely more like, you know, boisterous and um, energetic and just kind of like off the cuff. But, you know, it's it is a little more balanced. So it's it's it's, it's a cool and you wouldn't necessarily feel like it came out in 98 like uh you know it looks really good um it just feels more modern i don't know how to quite articulate that but i don't know if you feel the same way no yeah it it definitely so i haven't seen this movie in a pretty long time up until last week when i watched it in preparation for this episode and i really thought it came out like maybe mid to late 2000s yeah i mean the yeah, only feels the, for sure the tell giveaway is, you know, how Jim Carrey and um, Ed Harris look in this. But for the most part, like, it definitely seems like it's better produced than some movies even today. Yeah, um, I completely agree. I really, actually just, I really like how it looks. Like, I like the kind of visual style and feel of the movie. Um, I feel like it's one you can kind of pick out, and I like when movies have that kind of aspect to them. Yeah, absolutely. And then, so we'll dive into some other stuff here. So the director is Peter Weir or Veer. I'm I'm not totally sure you pronounce it, but he's most known outside of this for uh, Dead Poet Society. Yeah, which is one I still haven't seen. Yeah, um, and I I'm ninety seven percent sure. Yeah, he directed um, Master and Commander with Russell Crowe and Paul Bettany. is one of my probably one of my favorite movies of all time. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen it, but I'm if not. you yeah, check it out, man. It's uh, it's based off a, a series of books, um, and okay. it looks like that's he's only directed one movie since that. That was two thousand three, um, and that's actually the first thing he did after Truman Show, and it's it's excellent. Um, okay, so definitely watch that if you. Uh, have yeah, no, I'll definitely add that to the watch list. And then uh, writer is Andrew Nicole, most known for uh, the Terminal or Lord of War. Yeah, enjoy both of those, honestly. Yeah, um, I haven't seen the terminal yet. <laughs> okay, it's interesting. It's it's interesting. I don't. I'm not the biggest um, Tom Hanks guy, but that's actually one that I enjoy from him. It's uh, it's a unique story for sure. That's the second time on this podcast you said you're not that big of a Tom Hanks guy. I'm not. I'll, I'll keep saying that. <laughs> yeah, there's some people that you know don't get or don't like my opinion on Forrest Gump, but yeah, there's. Uh, movie has its a lot of people that love it. Um, I think it's a very like emotional kind of reaction. I think it's something that either like connects with you or doesn't. But uh, I don't know. Yeah, not for for all the Harry Potter fans out there, I hold Jenny in the same regard that I hold Umbridge in. <laughs> That's harsh. Umbridge is like. Um, I feel like she's one of my yeah, she's literally one of my least favorite characters in any media, like ever, television, books, film, anything. I I she's oh, just absolutely well what's not talked about enough is how good that actress did. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean it's it's a perfect performance. I mean, and we might end up talking about um, you know, getting into Harry Potter, but quickly I just think like those movies are so well cast. Um and that just makes them so special. I don't know. I think that's 
nailing casting like that is so hard, especially off books. Um, because you can you can, it can go so poorly, but they did such a good job. Yeah, if on this quick sidebar, if you want to talk about important interpretation from a book, look at the movie Aragon, dude. Don't even get me started. Those that movie was, and I I, I love those books. Um, so did I. I think that was what's his name, pa- Pellini, Christopher Pellini. I think he was like sixteen or seventeen. I think when he wrote those. Um, was he which really incredible, dude? Yeah, he's he's nuts. That's not. Uh, yeah. He was a kid when he wrote those, and those are like such like rich, detailed. Like he built this insane world. Uh, yeah. And then you know they had Jeremy Irons, um, and just like they looked bad, the story was bad, the writing was bad. Like it was just such a letdown. Um, and I, I wish you know I wish maybe eventually someone will like pick that up and make like a TV series or something. Like it deserves. I want a trilogy, and I've made this comment before too. We need to stop like remaking old classics and remake ones that could be great that were made poorly, like Aragon, because I think. If it was made properly, we would hold it in the same regard that we hold Lord of the Rings. Yeah, I mean, I think it's like, in my opinion, the books themselves, like, there may be like a a step below, you know, the Lord of the Rings trilogy, but like, they're still excellent. And like, I think they almost provide, like, that was, Tolkien was really tough to adapt, in my opinion, to film or TV. And I think those books might actually be a little easier to make something, you know, with a little more spectacle, um, a little more like enjoyable visually. Um, and it could be fun. You know, you could get some like big young actor, like, I don't know. I think there's a lot of potential, like you said. Um, and yeah, people just want to go back to what's safe all the time. Uh, but I would love to see it. It's, it's the day of cinema that we're in. It's kind of like the eighties, like the eighties, while it did produce a lot of great movies, like it was an era of safe movies. It was Tarantino that shifted that all in 90, was that 94 with Reservoir Dogs or 92? Yeah, early 90s. So. Yeah. Yeah, and it's funny because I feel like we're getting a lot of like remakes and stuff from that time as well. And it's like <laughs> just once again going back to that well of like, you know, what's going to perform. Um, but that's why it's so nice to see like um, original stories and like new stuff come. Like that's I'm I'm seeing the creator tonight. I'm really excited about that. I think I'm um, gonna see that Monday. Yeah, I'm, and I've heard like I've heard some mixed things. Uh, generally positive, I think, but I've, I have heard some people were disappointed. Um, but you know, a director taking like Hollywood needs to see directors take original stories with small budgets and make money. And that's what you want to see. And then they'll do more of that. But like, until that's a consistent thing, we're going to get retreads, remakes, like... Well, that's kind of the nice thing right now with like Damien Chazelle and Greta Gerwig, though. Yeah. We're getting very original ideas from them. They're young directors. So, and Damien Chazelle has a master class for his four. Yeah. And I think like there need to be more directors like that that you will go see the movie not necessarily like you don't care as much what the story is you trust that the story will be worthwhile because of the director attached to it and like the more directors there are like that the more people you'll get going back into theaters which like i mean you and me will do but the average person like 
I mean, inflation is awful right now. Everything's so expensive. Like people don't have money for food, let alone to like go spend $20 on a movie ticket and then buy popcorn. You know what I mean? Like it's, yeah. um, you got to inspire people to get back to that. So um, yeah, I'm excited to see that movie and many others like it. So yeah. All right. Let's reel it back into the Truman show. Yeah. <laughs> I was reading some different articles about this or like different YouTube videos, but I didn't know. And what's probably my second favorite Jim Carrey movie uh, is Liar, Liar. Excellent. It sandwiches right in between the two we're talking about today. <laughs> really? Um, so this was what, 90, 98 and 2004, I think? Yeah. Was Liar, Liar 2002? No, Liar, Liar was 97. Oh, you're saying the Truman Show sandwiches between, so, okay. Yeah, Got no, it. so, yeah, we'll get to that at the end, but... Anyway, why I know it was 97 was this movie was pushed back one year of filming because they wanted Jim Carrey and he was wrapping up his production on the set of Liar Liar. Okay. That's really cool. Yeah, I mean, that's not a great movie. It's so funny. Um, I really enjoy that one. But it's kind of crazy if uh, these were like right, right back to back. Like that's a lot of work for him in two years. Yeah, but I mean, he's... In terms of comedies, he was almost like the Nicolas Cage of comedies of the '90s, because like everyone wanted Nicolas Cage. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm trying to think of my favorite. I'm not a big, big fan of The Mask. Um, I think it's you know it's all right, but I'm not a big fan of it. Dumb and Dumber's great. Um, Dumb and Dumber Two sucks. <laughs> that yeah, that doesn't surprise me. And I'm I'm a big. Um, we also had Ace Ventura. The cable guy. I, I like Batman Forever more than a lot of people. Um, I think his Riddler was hilarious. Uh, we talked about that last week. I don't think that movie's good, but I do think he is one of the highlights of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. I I feel like he's just having a good time and it's just like fun to watch. It's, it's definitely not like a good movie per se, but it's one that I enjoy. And like, I think it's kind of a nostalgia thing for me as well. It's the second worst Batman. <laughs> We disagree there, but we digress. <laughs> um, getting back into it, Dennis, I think it's Hop, was originally cast to play Kristoff, the director, but was fired or left due to creative differences in less than two months. I couldn't figure out if he was fired or left. I read articles on both. Probably depends on who you ask. So Ed Harris replaced him and I won the Golden Globe for Best Supporting Actor. Ed Harris is great. Um, oh, absolutely. And what's nuts, too, is he, uh, him and Carrie never saw each other on set because Carrie had already finished all of his scenes by the time Ed Harris had shown up. Really? Damn. So. That almost makes for kind of an interesting dynamic with the, the story. I feel like that's kind of funny. Yeah, there's definitely a few movies you could do that and then get away with it. Like this obviously being one of them because Truman only meets, you know, a handful of characters. Yeah. Um, you know, it's funny. Have you seen uh, Snowpiercer? Is that with Chris Evans? Yeah. It's been a long time since I've seen it, but it's, I vaguely just, remember it. Ed Harris literally almost plays the same character. He's kind of the guy who's basically created that entire like train and system and oh, kind yeah. of creates the whole thing and they meet at the end. And like, it's funny because I. 
you know, seeing him in this role, I'm like, he's the same person. It's basically like the god of his world. It's just kind of a funny thing to see him in that role twice. Yeah, now I'm thinking about it. Do you think Maze Runner stole any inspiration from this? That's a really interesting thought. Um, and yeah, I mean, yeah, it's kind of has a similar feel. Um, and it definitely it's similar messaging, similar themes. Um, those were those were books too, correct? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, I, I think I, I remember reading those back in the day. And I, I actually, I kind of liked that that movie, the first movie. I really enjoy the first one. The second one is dog shit. And the third one is like mediocre. Yeah, I know uh, Dylan O'Brien, he like almost died filming those. I don't know if you remember that. I remember, um, but what before? I can't remember why. I want to say it was the second one. Uh, he, um, they were doing some kind of stunt and he literally almost died. It was like really awful. Um, oh, wasn't he almost like fell to his death or something? He was on some kind of, they were doing something with vehicles, like moving quickly. And I think he got oh. like pulled off what he was on. Um, and that, that was, he had so many injuries and like really struggled to come back from that. But I like him and I, that was a shame. Um, and that like slowed down that whole uh, franchise, really. I mean, it was, it was crazy. It was such a weird time in like cinema because like we got like Hunger Games, Maze Runner, and Divergent series, like all of those. And I honestly, I don't time. think I ever even watched uh, Divergent and I didn't read those books. I watched the first one. I can't remember if there was a second one or the second one got canceled. I think the second one came out and the third got canceled or something like that. Got you. Yeah, Will Will Poulter was in that um was in uh, Maze Runner as well. I like him a lot. He's good. I think that was the first thing I ever saw him in. Most likely, yeah. This was 2014. He was in Where the Millers a year before this, which is he's funny in that. I, I didn't see that till a couple years later, but it's so funny though because if you Google the actor with the eyebrows, Will Poulter comes up. <laughs> that is funny. Yeah, and then he was in uh he played Eustace in the second Chronicles of Narnia movie, which I forgot about, which wasn't great. The Dawn I, I don't really remember any of the Chronicles besides the first one. Yeah, they only ended up putting out that second one and then it just kind of lost steam. That's another like series that's so difficult to adapt because like every one of those books is so different and it's, it's it's like really telling its own story has different tones. Like it's very strange and just hard to adapt. I think Netflix is working on it now, but they're they're tough. But he was in that too. One of the series that I'm surprised didn't get picked up more off of books or like had more success because it's been picked up twice is a series of unfortunate events. Yeah. Um you feel like that would be easy to market to like families and stuff, but it's almost like it's tough because the the main audience from the books, I guess, I mean, is obviously grown up now, but you kind of have to make those in like a like for kids. It's like a weird so you know what I mean? You're kind of just like what market are you going for? I almost say go the opposite. And I would love to see like a David Fincher direct it and like target it towards like our generation yeah and i feel like that would make money um personally i think if you took it like more like mature and darker and stuff like people would go see that just even out of curiosity like make it like a seven or like you know zodiac gone girl 
like something with that tone behind it i think would just make it so successful yeah i mean that would be wild um and it definitely would be a risk but like i i would like i mean i like watching risks so i think that would be cool yeah. to see well i mean that's exactly what we're supposed to be talking about right now <laughs> is jim carrey taking a risk yeah so you're right, you're right. The drama <laughs> yeah I mean, props to him in both these movies for like the performances it's uh absolutely and then uh the truman show had a budget of 60 million and it grossed 264.1 so i mean that's pretty much success you know <laughs> yeah yeah especially in you know 98 like for sure yeah i want to know what those numbers are you know compared to inflation yeah probably really strong yeah um what do you what do you think of like how they started this movie um i liked it i liked kind of the whole um i like kind of the whole feel of it i mean it's it's kind of like something that's been done uh here or there like this kind of story but um i think the whole kind of idealistic world being set up to be something more you know sinister or not what it seems is a really fun thing to play with uh i think WandaVision did it really well, um, you know, recently. I think that was really fun to watch. I think the strongest elements of that series were playing with the same kind of stuff. Um, and I think I hadn't seen this in a long time uh, when I went in to rewatch it. So uh, I think kind of the feeling of like uncertainty from the audience and kind of like figuring out what exactly is going on is also a good time. And I, I, I wish I could go back and like watch this in the theater maybe going in without a lot of uh, information. I think that would be a, a really fun experience, but uh, I like the setup. See, I'm almost the opposite of you. Well, I wish I could go back to the theater and watch it, but what I wish they would have done differently is skip out on the commercials in the beginning, kind of like promoting the Truman show in this universe, and then just kind of kick us off in the beginning with him like starting his morning and we would slowly figure out that he is on a tv show as we go yeah that's that's fair i think um and i feel like what i said is kind of like in an idealistic world but i think generally if you are going into it you do have like sort of a sense of like the fact that of what was occurring um but I see what you're saying, um, and I like I did enjoy it from that perspective. I I I do somewhat agree, um, but I think it also like kind of serves as like a hook to get you kind of being like, okay, like what what's going on here? What am I looking at? Uh, and kind of trying to de decipher it in that way. But I also see it from your perspective as well. Well, yeah, and if you went through my perspective, you'd have to completely change the direction of this movie. Like you wouldn't see Ed Helms nearly as much. And or any of the cast and crew, uh, I feel like you wouldn't even really like you would definitely have like the thoughts going, but you might not even get a great grasp of it till the scene where he like kind of grabs the knife and is holding his wife and she said somebody or she said do something. And then yeah. you like everything might click. So you're looking for more of like a like a really like slow burn build up, like kind of Yeah. That's definitely like more my style of movie. Now, don't get me wrong. I mean, I still rated this movie, I think, what, a nine? Give me a second. 
I give this one a 9.2 out of 10. Like, it's still very up there, you know? Yeah. Um, in terms of, like, the tone in general, was there anything you would change in that aspect? Um, I, I, overall, I think it's good. I think where I would change it is maybe, like, after he really does start to realize things, like, after the scene uh, with his wife that I just brought up, maybe change it and make it slightly darker than it actually was yeah you know like you know change the lighting make it seem darker like have some of the interactions becoming yeah 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 i think if it was made today it might go more in that style um and play more into that for sure um and i think there's definitely there was some wiggle room there to take it more in that direction yeah, that's that's the main thing for me, like or the main critique, I should say. Um, but I do really like the like side plot of this, which I guess you could argue is the main plot of the side character on the show who like tries to tell him, you know, everything is real. Everyone knows who you are. And he's the yeah. main reason, or she is the main reason he's like kind of like thinking this is all fake. Yeah, I I enjoyed that aspect of it too. Kind of like the, um, what's the term I'm looking for? Kind of like a glitch in the system. Kind of like something to trigger him and like let him know that stuff's not okay. Like I like that that aspect of it too. Um, plus, you know, the the idea of that being like a romantic relationship that maybe he was like better suited for or was actually more you know, legitimate, more of an actual connection than what he actually ended up with. I think that was a good, like, tie-in to give him that kind of awareness because um, that's, like, an important person to have, clearly. Yeah. Uh, one thing I do thought, or I would think would be, like, kind of cool, like, add-in maybe, was it's towards, like, the end of the movie. They show that side character that I was just talking about. She had, like, called the director. It was, like, saying, you know, you're this is horrible. You're just, like, grooming his life this that and the other and you can see in the background she has like all these signs of like you know save truman and like you know free him it might have been cool to show more of the outside world to see like the difference of people who were like you know we need to get him off the show this is a horrible thing to do to a human versus the people that you know wanted him to stay yeah and i think if you did that she might feel like less of a like an outlier um and more more as (laughs) Like part of a movement or um you know a more common way of thinking i think that, that would have been interesting to explore for sure sylvia that's her name yeah, yeah. <laughs> bothering me I, I just kept saying the side character <clears throat> but yeah um i don't know it is a it does bring up like a strange question you know in your head like if you were in his shoes would you go to the outside world where you still have to deal with you know like kind of some bullshit but you know if you stay inside the bubble your life's kind of easy you know you don't have to deal with all the outside trauma yeah and it's funny because this this is like this is the question of the matrix the year before the matrix came out and like it's you know it's kind of funny to see that on a much lighter smaller scale but it's you know that's what it is um absolutely yeah and it's the same, you know, red pill, blue pill question that um, 
has been so interesting to people for you know the last 30 years so um yeah it's interesting for sure i still haven't finished the matrix franchise how much have you seen i've seen one and two um i still have to watch three and then the fourth one that just came out what like two three years ago yeah um i actually i never got around to watching the fourth i heard like a lot of people really didn't like it and some people were like this is amazing like this is great um and it's that was definitely a smaller amount of people saying that but i've heard it's like it's like really satirical and like just different um and i was interested to watch it but have not gotten around to it yet but the third one um i enjoy i think it's i think it's stronger than the second um okay if i remember correctly but yeah it's worth a watch i mean i know they're like correlate right there like they're pretty much just a continuation like kill bill one and two yeah um but i love number one i think number one is the highest i've ever rated a movie on first watch really yeah i think right off the rip i gave that like a 9.9 i think yeah i mean i don't think there's anything i would really change about the first one um i think i'm looking back so revolutions i think revolutions was the third one and that's generally viewed to be the worst and then reloaded was the second one um but i don't know i didn't hate the way it ended i think uh it looks like critics were a little bit harder on it than um the audience but i feel like if you like the the series and you like the um the subject matter like you'll enjoy all the movies yeah it is funny though that you just made the comparison pretty much calling the truman show the pg matrix <laughs> i mean yeah it's kind of like it's just a family friendly version without like really violence and you know um yeah something in the truman show trying to kill you but yeah it's it's no yeah no that's hilarious i'm for sure for the rest of my life going to refer to the truman show as the pg matrix <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's that's how i see it and i mean i love both the stories um and i think they really both connect with me uh which we'll probably talk about a little more later but um yeah i love these movies back to back years it's pretty cool yeah no um this movie was definitely it's my third favorite carry movie and i think it's my second highest rated gotcha so do you have you have eternal sunshine and liar liar ahead of it yeah gotcha yeah we'll get to that here in just a little bit okay is there anything else you want to touch on for this movie um anything with his dad because i feel like we skipped over that big chunk i thought that was interesting i mean i just i feel like this movie has aged so well um you know just in terms of society uh it dive you know it kind of touches on everything around reality tv and like the way everyone in the outside world is like absolutely glued to watching him even when he's just kind of like going through mundane aspects of his life um i think it's kind of funny and uh also at the end you know you kind of i feel like you kind of get the feeling that they'll just move on to whatever's next um and the next thing that's there to kind of hold their attention 
And I think that's how um, a lot of our society kind of is today. So, you know, seeing this in 1998 is interesting. Um, is Truman the Kardashians of the movie verse? <laughs> I mean, yeah, essentially. Um, and like, it's funny because I think people that are so attached to reality TV and whatnot, um, a lot of times are just kind of looking for an escape from their own life, which in a way kind of mimics the life that Truman has on the show. So it's like, you know what I mean? It's kind of like an interesting way to think about it. Um, but you're like getting an escape through, you know, just watching someone else, even when they're just going through their day to day, as opposed to going out and trying to do something like with your own life. Um, so it's, it, I don't know. It's very like meta and interesting and um, just thought provoking for me. Absolutely. I also think it's super funny though, throughout the entire movie that his best friend that's always there, all he ever does is show up with a six pack of beer. Yeah. Like no matter what's going on, like he was threatening his wife, the paid actor, obvious actress, obviously. And he just shows up with a six pack of beer. Like, Hey bud. And yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, all the like all those little aspects like that, I feel like were perfect. Um, and I just, I mean, I liked the even the romantic aspect of it. Um, kind of the concept of, you know, people you might feel like you're supposed to be with, or like it's comfortable to be with, or, um, you know, I think there's a lot of people in out there in relationships just kind of going through the motions, and they're doing whatever they're doing because they're like, okay. We've been together for X amount of time. It's time to get married. It's time to do this. It's time to have that. But like, they don't actually stop and think like, am I happy? Like, is this person right for me? Like, you know, and you see that kind of like actual connection for him with someone else um, that makes him, you know, it just kind of gives you that something to think about um, from that aspect. And I feel like that's really relatable for a lot of people um, out there. So I, I like the, the romantic storyline as well. Yeah. No, I definitely agree with you on that. Just funny because this is probably a romantic subgenre. Yeah. I mean, it's funny because the genres on Letterboxd is comedy, then drama. I'd almost reverse those. Yeah, to me, this this movie, like I think it establish like I think it establishes this tone of uh I, th- I, I kind of said existential dread earlier. Like, I feel like, like it is funny, but like that is, there is that feeling throughout. And there's, there's almost moments in this that, you know, it's obviously not horror, but there are moments of like, you know, really, that are really like uncertain and unsettling in a way. Oh, you get so attached to the Truman character, you know, trying to feel for him. And then when they're trying to kill him at the end on the water, on the boat, like putting him through the lightning storm and everything. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and and even in just like kind of small moments throughout that just are kind of weird and unsettling, like there's, I would not uh, classify this as comedy as the overarching genre for sure. I think it's definitely more drama heavy, um, personally. I know, I completely agree with you. Yeah, and like... Sci-fi is the wrong word for it, but it almost has like its own kind of 
section of fiction too. Yeah. Like find the right words to classify it in. Yeah, it's kind of like surreal, like surrealist. Um, it's like Hunger Games almost. <laughs> like, you know, with the dome and everything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just kind of building this little world for, you know, someone to exist in and, you know, existing under the parameters you set up. Like, yeah, it's... Um, it's definitely its own its own own kind of genre. Absolutely. All right, we ready to move into our next film? Yeah, let's get it. Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. One of one of my favorite movies of all time. Do you have a sense of where it ranks for you? For me personally, or like where I would like, yeah, like if, if in your favorites, like is it top 10? Is it top 20? Is it top five? Like, what are we talking? Personal favorites of all time, I'm probably gonna put this around the 12 spot. Okay, I really sat down and thought about it. That's really high. I mean, yeah, I don't expect it though. Yeah, I adored this movie. Um, all right. Joel Barish, heartbroken that his girlfriend underwent a procedure to erase him from her memory, decides to do the same. However, as he watches his memories of her fade away, he realizes that he still loves her and may be too late to correct his mistake. Which is a pretty perfect synopsis. Yeah. Yeah, it's straight, simple to the point. Um, have you always kind of felt the same about this movie? Or I guess as a follow-up to that, like when did you first watch it um and my first like, watch of this was i think like november of last year or something somewhere around that time okay um and then this was probably my third watch of it to get ready for this episode gotcha and have you kind of felt the same about it in each watch or has it evolved or like what's that kind of like for you uh i'd say it's probably been like about the same every time i loved okay. it on my first watch ever and it's never changed i have this at a 9.7 out of 10. wow is there is there anything you would change about it like is can you name a flaw like is there anything you feel anywhere it lags or um mainly i'd say my biggest things that i would change is i'm just i genuinely i don't think mark ruffalo and kristen dunce are that spectacular of actors so yeah yeah i think they both kind of shine in moments in their careers and in the right setting but in this uh i didn't think they were very good um and they get it they really do get a decent amount of screen time honestly so um i i think i enjoy basically the movie kind of around them in the pockets around them but um yeah i, I agree with that that take for sure yeah um before we dive too much in the movie director michael gondry uh his notable films are the green hornet be kind rewind and tokyo he directed uh, the green hornet yeah man it seems like he actually touches a, i mean he does a lot more uh international films he's from versailles france or Versailles. Yeah, Versailles. Uh, yeah. Uh, we have a Versailles, Ohio. So okay. I, nice. I always flip them. Um, 
But yeah, and then Decon Rewind is a Jack Black movie if you haven't seen it. I feel like I watched that a very long time ago. Um, I think it's I on HBO Max right now. <laughs> okay. It's on that or Prime. It's one of the two. Oh, yeah, and I meant to throw this comment in for the Truman Show. It's available to stream on Prime right now. Yeah. Every, Prime has really an insane collection of movies. Um, it's really impressive, I feel. Yeah, I feel like HBO's has gone down the last couple months and Prime's has shot up. Yeah, I don't... I mean, it's a long conversation. I didn't really understand their rebrand and going to just Max. Like, I, Dude, they rebrand um, every couple of years. Yeah, and I think from a like from a marketing perspective and just from like a brand identity perspective, like it's just not you don't want to be doing that. Like it's yeah, it's, 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 I don't it's know. not like they're the buttered popcorn podcast that has, you know, forty <laughs> listeners or forty followers. Yeah. Yeah. We're 40. we're at a point where we're we're able to do that right now. But um, <laughs> you know, I just feel like they should I don't I don't I didn't understand that move. And just I'm, to give a better perspective to the audience, we had I think Dan and I put together twenty eight new name ideas and ran through spotify apple youtube just to make sure no one else had any of the names i think we had to scratch out what 16 a lot yeah a lot maybe more but like yeah so i just can't imagine a brand like max just rebranding every because like five years ago they were hbo then they went to hbo max then they went to just max now yeah and i mean it, it gives me the impression that there's I guess leadership swapping around maybe or something that, that just have their own ideas, but uh, it's not good for their brand. So they should stop, stop doing that. I'm calling it out in like three years. They're going to be max plus something. <laughs> I would not be surprised. I would not be surprised. Uh, all right. Back to the eternal sunshine. The writer was Charlie Kaufman. Yeah who has done some notable movies. I'm just blanking on them right now. I forgot to write them down. Uh, Charlie Kaufman. He was a writer next, for... Next New York. What was that? Next to New York. Uh, he wrote that. And uh, Anomalisa as well. And I'm thinking of ending things. Yeah. I'm um, also pulling up Human Nature. So he's done some very notable things. But one thing I found when reading about him was uh, Gondry pitched uh, this movie in uh, 98. And this movie almost actually didn't get made because there's a direct correlation to our last episode because of Christopher Nolan's memento. Really? Yeah. So they started pitching it in 98 and like writing it. And then Nolan made Memento, which is another movie about memory loss and trying to like piece everything together. And they were worried with the success that Memento had that they people wouldn't want to see another like kind of memory loss movie, even though in my eyes they're like pretty opposite, like of how they go about yeah. things. I mean, I understand from like a you know a marketing perspective and whatnot, like there might be concern there, but yeah, these movies could not be more more different. Um, I don't know. And Memento is really, it's really its own thing. Like, I, I there's nothing else ever that's going to be like that. Um, yeah. So, but, you know, that was two, that was 2000, I think. Yeah. It came out in 2000 and, and Eternal Sunshine came out in 04. Yeah. Yeah. So they gave I mean, it a good. The, close, the closest thing to Memento is maybe Inception 
but that's just you know the same director and you can see similarities yeah. it's like if you compare casino to wolf of wall street you can tell it's scorsese right yeah for sure uh other things about this movie is apparently uh post or post filming and like doing all the editing the production everything gondry's girlfriend broke up with him during editing which apparently made the movie very hard for him to edit <laughs> yeah i mean i can't even imagine that's especially you know with the subject matter that's a that's a tough tough draw for him <laughs> yeah and then one of the funniest things i heard about this movie was that everyone on set was told to improvise you know all their they're like you know lines are like just things they do so like one of the most simple ones is in the beginning on the bus um kate winslet's character clementine it wasn't scripted for her to punch joel she just did really? it as improv the only one who was told not to improvise was jim carrey okay who was like known so what, for his what was the thinking behind that i think it was because joel was the main you know focus and he's the one who's like depressed and sad and lonely and so yeah. like he just kind of fits into this one bubble Whereas, like, everyone else was kind of their own character. And also, it was Gondry wanting to get Carrie uncomfortable on set and in the movie to kind of give him that, like, persona. Okay. So he has to deal with kind of the unpredictability of everyone around him um, who might have more, like, energy and just kind of be more out there. And then he's just kind of stuck in that rigid, you know, rigidity yeah. of the script and writing. And Yeah, that's that's brilliant. But yeah, and then uh, do you know about Clementine's hair in this movie? What specifically about it? So, like, how it changes so much. So, like, towards the end of the yeah. movie, you see actually the first time that they meet, and her hair is green in that. And it's supposed to represent all of the different seasons throughout the year. So green is like spring, everything's coming to life, just like their relationship is blossoming. And then after that, it moves into... Um, red for summer which kind of represents like the fiery passion of a new relationship you know like the honeymoon phase uh where everything's exciting like you don't see a flaw and then orange is when you know the leaves that blossomed over the summer are starting to die so like the relationship is starting to slow down not work anymore they're having a lot of issues and then blue is like you know the dead of winter nothing's growing and that's when the relationship is done that's awesome yeah i didn't i didn't realize that but um that makes perfect sense yeah i think it was a fantastic like you know whether it was writing or the production or the set designer who came up with that i think it's awesome yeah how how do you feel about her character in general i mean i i love her character but like just like how it was portrayed, but I think she's just a bad person. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think one of the reasons this movie not falls flat for me, but I didn't find myself enjoying it that much is like, I have zero desire to see him literally speak to her again. Like, and <laughs> so like from that standpoint, I just feel like he's making a massive mistake, like going back into that. So as the movie, like 
that is just a huge disconnect for me. I can't stand her character. Um, I feel like there's so many red flags. <laughs> and it just, there, hey man, I don't know. I've, if I've dated girls that had plenty of red flags. I just thought I was at the circus. <laughs> yeah, I mean, every, everyone, everyone in life definitely has. But, you know, I needed there to be more more positivity more something good from her or like her bringing something positive into his life outside of just like being kind of fun you know in like a multi-personality kind of way and like you know what i mean like it was like this manic energy sometimes which like is not sustainable or real so i don't know i just had a big disconnect with their relationship in and of itself And that makes the movie not hit as hard for me emotionally because I don't care if they end up together. So like that, that's my main issue here. Um, Okay. I I get that. I'll try and defend it a little, but I mean, I mostly agree with what you're saying. Um, One, I think that Clementine is probably bipolar. I think we all know it. So maybe if she got on medication or like, you know, got the help she needed on some medications, going help. It could it could work, uh, yes. but also yeah. I think it's you know we've all been through a heartbreak or something emotional in our lives that we have just wanted to erase. You know, again, yeah. this puts you in a weird you know question for yourself: Would you do it? I don't think I would, but you know, we all it yeah. takes place yeah. right around Valentine's Day, so you know I could understand maybe. If you have that much of an attachment to Valentine's Day, yeah, and I think it also asks you the question: like, are we still ourselves without our memories, even if they're difficult, even if they're challenging? Are we still ourselves if we take out like the challenging moments that we've been through in our lives? Um, do we lose an aspect of who we are? Um, you know, can we keep going on in that way? Is that healthy? Um, I think those are all really good questions. And I like conceptually, I love this movie. Uh, and I like, I like Jim Carrey's performance. I think the direction, the editing, like the cinematography, like everything from a, te- from a technical standpoint, this movie is nuts, like nuts with everything it's doing. Um, it's so innovative. Like I love, uh, all the technical aspects of it. And I love the concept of it. That's the only disconnect I have, like I said, Um, but it asks so many good questions and it doesn't miss in terms of how it fleshes out, like exploring those questions in detail um, while keeping you engaged. Uh, Even if for me, like the emotional engagement wasn't, and that also might just be where I'm at in life. Like maybe me, 10 years ago watching this might be like, oh, like, you know, they'll figure it out. But like me now, I'd be like, I just want to stop talking to this person like instantly. I would have been like, I don't have time or energy for this bullshit. So, um, yeah, that makes perfect sense. But I mean, like you, you got to, I mean, for me, like you have to think about it, like, you know, they forgot who the other one was and then they kind of, you know, remet. And then you hear this tape about, you know, like how you were in love with this person and like you guys broke up but and you hear the reasons but you know you want to believe like you know maybe you can change this time or you want to take the risk like i like how the movie ends on you not knowing if they're going to make it or not i don't think they did 
but <laughs> yeah and i guess that's you know it's very real in that way um and you know maybe on some kind of subconscious level they each grew in some way by going through this experience and then coming back to each other like who knows I don't think they did <laughs> i mean because you have to yeah. think like it's the dark times where you grow in life like you know where you're down like that's where you have self-realization or you know you find out things in life you don't want and the things you do want and they yeah. erase the entire part of that yeah and if you're if you're um clementine you might go through that act in those ways and then be like oh i lost someone good and then maybe that's how she learns like okay like if i value someone i'm not going to treat them in xyz ways and i'm going to like put more effort in and be more you know or put more work into herself to figure out whatever she has going on and then do better in the future but like yeah if you take that out um and you know for for uh Jim Carrey's character, like, he might be like, okay, I'm not going to, like, allow myself to be pulled into a situation where, like, I'm treated like that. Because, like, I, you know, I'm, no one deserves that. So I'm going to, like, demand more than that in the future. But, again, if you take that away, where does that leave both of them? Like, back where they I were think, before. I, I don't think he would, too, because in the beginning he has that quote, you know, like, why do I imagine my life with every woman who gives me the slightest bit of attention? Yeah. Yeah, so clearly he doesn't, like, have that much sense of self-worth or, like, value, which is, like, something, you know, if I was his therapist, I, I'd probably tell him to, to figure out before he engages in any type of relationship. Oh, um, absolutely, because, I mean, he is a hopeless romantic. Yeah, and almost, like, to a very unhealthy degree and in, in the unhealthiest of ways. Um but because like, he clearly is someone that like just puts everyone else's needs before his own, which like, you know, is hypothetically a positive trait, but can be taken to a incredibly negative extent, I think. Yeah. And if you hate uh, Kate Winslet's character, how do you feel about Elijah Wood's character, Patrick? <laughs> yeah, he's just he's just he's the real piece of shit of this movie. Yeah, no, genuine, like, in terms of someone who's fully aware of what they're doing, um, seemingly, you know, evenly chemically balanced and, you know, aware of everything, he's definitely just a bad, bad person. Uh, and just an annoying character. Um, I don't know. I mean, he's a necessary part of the movie, but just... Again, just like we said with the other two characters, like I didn't enjoy that much when he was on the screen, um, but necessary for sure. It's crazy going from Lord of the Rings to this. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, Elijah Wood has, he really has pretty good depth or pretty good range um, and depth when it comes to acting. But, you know, it's it's interesting role. Just he's so annoying. Um, I also, uh, I did like Tom... Go ahead. No, I was going to say it too. I like uh, I like Tom Wilkinson's character. I thought he was good in his role and like very believable. And he's an actor I enjoy in everything he's in. So I liked him. Yeah. I'm looking at uh, Elijah Wood right now in Letterboxd. Did you know he was in Back to the Future too? No. What was his role? It, it, it just says Video Game Boy. 
<laughs> that's a that's a fun piece of trivia and probably something that is worth going back and looking for. Um, Man, now I hope he pops up one of those uh, trivia grids that I posted on TikTok the other day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's a fun tidbit to know. Yeah. That's... Wow. All right. I didn't even know he was, like, old enough to act in those. Or, well, Learn something new. Should... Yeah. yeah. Um, but, no, I mean, like, yeah. Patrick's just kind of a piece of shit, too. Like, it's kind of crazy. But it's really funny because this movie's kind of just filmed. Everyone's kind of a piece of shit in this besides Jim Carrey, if you really break it down. I mean, like, yeah. And the I doctor mean, like, getting on his wife with, you know, Kristen Dunst and then, like, wiping Kristen Dunst's memory. Mark Ruffalo getting high and drinking while he's doing these procedures in people's rooms. Right. Yeah, I thought that was interesting. I don't know if it's necessarily like commentary on you know, psychiatric care or, like, medical care or anything, but just, like, the disregard they had and, like, kind of the flippancy of how they were doing what they were doing, I thought was kind of poignant just from um, kind of life experience. I feel like I've seen uh, a lot of really bad doctors in my life, mostly interacting with, like, people, like, family members, stuff like that. I've seen a lot of people that shouldn't be doctors and shouldn't be caring for people and don't care about the people they they go through their work um like they're just doing day-to-day tasks and that like there's no actual thought put into the fact that they're like taking care of a person and i don't know if that was like an intended commentary but i i liked that um because you could see it was just like another day for them and like they didn't care at all about their patient um so i kind of like that that little bit of the story yeah Absolutely. Well, you know me and my small details. So, three of my favorites in this movie. Uh, very beginning, when Carrie walks out to his car to go to, I think, work, or the train station to go to work, um, he sees that his car is scratched up, and he thinks that it's the car next to him that did it, so he leaves a note on their car, like, saying thanks, when in reality, he had forgotten about Clementine, because she had wrecked it, or, like, scratched it up when she was right. drunk driving. Um, yeah, another that's one, a good call. Another one was right after they had started dating again in the end. Um, he goes to, like, pour a drink, and he says, sorry, I thought I had more liquor than this. He is he had, he had thought he had more because Mark Ruffalo's character and them were drinking his liquor during his procedure. That's a good call. And then uh, third and final is when they're wiping his memory and they're in the library. Some of the books don't have uh, the title on the spine because Jim Carrey's memory couldn't remember every book that was there. That's really cool. And that's like small details like that are so fun. Like this movie feels very like very detailed, like detail oriented. Um, It's cool to see stuff like that. Yeah. And it's so funny that it almost didn't get made because I like this movie better than I like Memento. Um, that's that's an interesting comparison. Um, when we talked about Memento, I I like it. I don't like I don't like Guy Pierce that much. So I don't know. I'd have to think about that. I feel like I probably would prefer Eternal Sunshine by like a hair. 
Um, just in terms of like, if I could just rewatch one for the rest of my life and throw out the other, I'd probably pick Eternal Sunshine. Yeah. I feel like it might be higher too if they recast Guy Pierce. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah. And at the time frame of that movie coming out, there was a lot of good options he could have gone with. Yeah. Yeah, but we got one of the crazier parts. One of the crazier parts about Eternal, though, is it had a $20 million budget, which is not a lot for a movie. So, no. with everything they did. Um, and also, for those who don't know, it's like a movie's budget, about half of it is for marketing. So, really, they have like $10 million to work with, and then $10 million to like billboard, trailers, everything else. Yeah, which is wild. I mean, just in terms of like, all the production value and everything they did from like that just tells me this was like so efficiently made and just like that's that's really impressive to me yeah i think it's some of the best one of the best aspects of the movie is like the actual filmmaking so the fact they did that on such a small budget is crazy absolutely and then this movie only grossed 74 million which to be successful a movie does or like is estimated to be successful is to make double of what your budget was. So they were successful. Yeah. By, you know, they tripled their margin and some. <laughs> but I really thought this movie would have done better. Yeah. So, I mean, I feel like I already, you have, like, what's the margin that you prefer this over Truman Show? Like, are they close in your head or like, not really? They're close. I mean, I, I mean, you heard I rated this like 0.6 higher, but I, I definitely connect to movies more on the more emotional side of things. Yeah. Like I like the slow burn emotional side of everything, which I mean, there's like a movie that Chris Evans is in. I don't know if you've seen it called before we go. It's not a great movie by any means. I'll put that out there. It doesn't break anything on the rom-com scale. But my buddy and I absolutely adore that movie. Like, and so, and again, it's a slow burn, but emotional. So I think it's that. Um, I think the acting is better from the supporting cast in this. Um, yeah, mainly with Kate Winslet. Uh, I like the small details, and I like the what if scenario for this in my head better than I like the what if scenario for a Truman Show. Okay. That's fair. Um, I think back to the. Oh, go ahead. Uh, no, I was gonna say. Like, can you kind of flesh that out? Like, what do you mean in terms of like the what ifs? Like, in terms of the ending, or no? It's so like in my head, like the what if I'm in this scenario. Okay, gotcha. So, like Truman Show, you know, like what if, like you know, I had the option to stay in this like world where, like you know, I'm the main character, so like nothing really bad can happen to me, or like. What if I'm in this scenario? Because this scenario to me feels more real. We've all been through heartbreak. So, like, is there a scenario in my life that I would have wanted to forget? You know, like, put me back to, like, day one after this heartbreak happens. Would I take this experiment or not? Yeah, that's fair. That's that's what I mean by the what if that I like better. Gotcha. And then back to the budget of this, too. Um with like it being a lower budget where they only had 10 million to work with this movie really kind of relied on New York's weather 
on whether or not they were going to have some of the scenes. So shooting it in the winter, they were able to get the frozen lake scene, which is probably the most iconic from this movie. Mm-hmm. They were able to get the snowy after effects and everything. Yeah, I mean, that's the movie that def- that's the scene that definitely stands out the most, I feel like, in people's minds. Um, and visually, it's just really cool. It just, like, sticks in your head. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And then uh, Kate Winslet, I forget what podcast she was on, but she was on a podcast and asked what's her favorite role she's ever done. And this was in, like, two years ago that this podcast came out. And with, like, out hesitation, she said it was this movie. Yeah, it doesn't surprise me. I feel like it probably probably being in this like probably had a massive like emotional impact on them and probably like you know pulled stuff from their own memories and you know lives it's um and the fact that she would pick this over uh titanic is pretty wild well she brought that up because you know that's what everyone i feel like that's what everyone knows her for like for sure um and people, or she said that like this one felt like she could be more like herself or more free with the character. Whereas Titanic, she's playing the pretty dolled up lead lead role. Yeah, this is more of a real person, like not not like an idealized person. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that makes total sense. So, if you were in the scenario, you wiping your mind? I don't think so. Um, I just feel like there's so many, there's so many things to consider. And I feel like it's also difficult because he clearly has like legitimate clinical, it, like diagnoses. Like he, he, I think he needs a good amount of help. Um, so that adds another layer to it that I feel like I can't speak on, but for me, myself, I don't think so. Um, I don't know, but I'm, it's, it's so like this, it's so hard for me to think about. Cause like, I just feel like if I was him, I would have been out of this so quickly. Like, <laughs> I just, I don't know, maybe I'm just cynical, but like, I, that's what makes it hard for me to think about. Um, but yeah, there's nothing that's happened in my life really that I feel like from a relationship standpoint, I would want to like wipe out of my head. Uh, I don't know. I feel like it all makes you who you are and like you learn, like we talked about. Yeah, absolutely. I got to ask my wife that question, you know, see if there's anything she'd wipe away. The scary part about this, though, is there is scientists that are making this movie almost not sci-fi because they've found a way to erase, like, certain parts of, like, rat or mice memories. Yeah, which, I mean, doesn't shock me. And I feel like most things, a lot of things, at least in movies from you know, the 90s, early 2000s, like all a lot of that stuff's going to become real or has become real, um, which is an interesting thing to observe. But the rate at which like scientific advancement is progressing is, is wild and it's exponential right now, I feel like. So um, it's definitely kind of crazy to, to pay attention to stuff like that as it happens, because, um, you know, as soon as you have those trials going on, like it'll progress rather quickly. So. That's pretty wild. Yeah. When is someone finally going to, you know, like show up and just tell them to stop it? <laughs> yeah. Like, and that's just we, not something I would ever, I'm not letting anyone mess with my, my brain in that way. I don't think, yeah, especially not the other effects. 
there's no scientist that fully understands the brain. You think I'm going to let someone erase different parts of it and not expect side effects or repercussions? Now you might as well be one of those, uh, one of the rat or rats or mice, you know? Yeah, exactly. Like you were straight up a lab rat at that point. <laughs> yeah. I hope there's no one listening that was like, yeah, I was thinking about getting that surgery. <laughs> <laughs> Don't do it. Dude, I read something on Facebook earlier that made me so uncomfortable. And it's that, you know, you think you're a skeleton just moving around, but really you're inside that skeleton. You're just a brain moving around a mechanism made of bones. And I was like, that just makes me uncomfortable. Don't ever say that again. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot to a lot to think about there. Speaking of existential dread, that'll get you uh, deep into that world. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's not going to be one of my hyper fixations. <laughs> Dude, my hyperfixation like all summer has been the pyramids. I can't get pyramids out. Are wild, like truly. In terms of like, you know, I mean, there's a there's a large number of like architectural, you know, masterpieces all over the world from different periods of time that are almost unexplainable. But those are definitely up there. That that one's unexplainable. Yeah, I dude, I've read so many theories on it. It bothers yeah, me. There's a lot. There's a lot of them out there. Um, it's really wild to look into. Yeah. What, do you know what the tallest structure that was built on Earth after the pyramids? No. It was the Eiffel Tower. So that you're saying that was the next tallest thing built, like to surpass yeah. the height of the pyramid? Yeah. Stable anyway. Yeah. <laughs> That's really, really crazy to think about. Was it? Yeah. Was was. Uh, were the pyramids at Giza? Were those like the the tallest pyramids? Yeah. Okay. Dude, in in the Great Pyramid, there's three million two hundred thousand stones. <laughs> you're you're deep into this. <laughs> oh yeah, Dude, I can give you all the numbers. I'm a, like I'm pretty sure my wife would rather me sit there and talk about movies for two hours than how much I've talked about the pyramids recently. Hey man, whatever you're into, you know, dive into it. You got to get a hit little history podcast going. Yeah, dude, I can't, I can't get too many podcasts. My one buddy said he wants to start up a like NFL podcast. He's a Niners fan too, and he was. I was like, all right, man, I'll give you like the tips and stuff. And he was like, oh, seeing like maybe if you want to be on it. I was like, I, I got enough on my plate right now. I was like, I appreciate yeah. the offer. Like, yeah, something you don't want to like react too quickly and be like, oh yeah, I can do that. And then it's like you're actually trying to do all the work, and it's like mm, maybe not. Yeah, dude, like trying to run like two TikToks, like this podcast while also living my everyday life <laughs> yeah enough speaking of good to, be, good to be busy though you know better to be busy than just sitting around you know oh yeah i'd get so bored yeah it is funny sometimes though because like i'll be laying in bed like having a lazy day watching a movie and i'm like man like i haven't done shit i feel like a piece of shit right now and but then i'm also like well i kind of need this to you know keep going on the podcast and make content so like <laughs> yeah, you gotta know when to recharge and when to slow down and then when to like turn it on and try to like get stuff done but i think carving out that time for both things is important well see that's my thing with like tiktok like i don't record every day but like i'll get these like blips of motivation and i'll record like 16 different things and just put in my drafts and then that's just, do it dude i don't know why people just record every day like yeah i i've been doing it um like you said just kind of doing batches of stuff like i write down my ideas when i have them and then come back to that 
like get as much done as I can in a session. And then, you know, you have that for the week or whatever, and you're, you're fine. So that's definitely the way to do it. Yeah. Well, dude, it's funny. I had a video like pop off the other day. Did you see the one that was just the movie clip of the star Wars trivia? Yeah. Yeah. I saw that. Dude, that's been in my drafts for probably over a month and a half. And like the other night before bed, I was just like, ah, fuck it, whatever. I'll just post it. Like there wasn't any writing on the screen. Like I barely did a caption, barely yeah. did tags. Didn't think of it. And I woke up the next morning and my lock screen was just like filled with TikTok notifications. I was like, what the hell? And like I opened it and had like 25,000 views. I was like, oh shit. <laughs> that's great, man. Yeah, it was funny. I like that. Yeah, dude, it's over like 200 now. Nice. That's wild yeah. how that goes. Well, it's so funny, too, because, like, for maybe, like, two months now, I've been floating at, like, 5,480 followers and, like, couldn't get above, like, fourth, like, above 82. And then, like, now I'm at, like, 5530-something. Nice. It just takes that one video to make you take that leap. Yeah. Yeah, it's wild, like, how it can go, like, exponentially. It's, like, it's absolutely crazy. Yeah, and I've heard other creators talk about it. I feel like when you're about to reach a milestone like TikTok slows down your progression to like try yeah. and get you to quit. Yeah. I remember I was at 999 followers for like a minute. Like it was going so quickly. I swear to God, bro. Like it slowed down. It was like there for a long time. And I was like, what is, what is going on here? But yeah, dude, like I hear people say that when they're about to hit like the 10,000 marker, cause like 10,000 followers is what you need to make money off TikTok too. Yeah, like that one, I could kind of understand why TikTok slows you down. But then, like, I mean, Raiders of the Lost Podcast on one of their episodes, they made the comment about how, like, they took like I think six months where they were at like four hundred ninety nine thousand followers. That's crazy. That's got to be so like nerve wracking when you're at that many. I mean, and like in my head too. Like I always played off like because like when I first found Jeremiah, I had more followers than him. And, like, now he's, like, above me by, like, over 1,200, I think. Which, like, you know, I'm not taking away from him. He makes better content than I do, and I'll say that right now. Yeah. But, like, good for him. But, you know, there's a, like, small part in you that's like, oh, come on, man. Like, why can't I grow? <laughs> hey, in due time. In due time, man. <laughs> yeah. No, and, but, like, I think that way. But then also I think, like, I've never even had this many followers on, like, Instagram, which I've had since sixth grade. Like, you know. Yeah, you it's know like, I feel like you have to just enjoy every bit of it and regardless of like how yourself's doing like i can make a video that gets like 500 views like but i'm talking about something i really enjoy and like i'm yeah. sharing that with people that do follow and watch my stuff and like you know i'd like to express that and that's all i really care about like if something does well that's great but like i'm just going to keep talking about stuff that i care about and you do the same so like that's yeah, all that's you want to see like We've both said it. That's kind of what TikTok is because movies are very important to both of us, you know. So this is just kind of our outlet to get our thoughts out there rather than just annoying everyone in our life about them every day. Yeah. And I'm not going to be like hunting down like every new trendy thing on Netflix to like talk about because like it'll get like I can't, I don't care. So I can't do that. Like I'll do that if it's something I want to watch. But like, you know what I mean? I don't know. When, here's a hot take most of the things that trend on TikTok are not good movies. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it is that way a lot of the time. Um, and maybe it's either someone like gassing something up that doesn't quite deserve it or just like shitting on something that's bad, which like people like to see like purple hearts that took over social media in the beginning of the year. 
I think yeah. I gave the movie a 0.5 out of 10. Yeah. It, it might also be because of some of my spite, just because, you know, like it's a Marine Corps movie. Yeah. But like the way I've described it time and time again is it's like someone wanted to make a Marine Corps movie without talking to a Marine first. Yeah, man. Like you can tell when anything to do with the military is made with no actual consultation. And it's like, it's, I mean, regardless of what you're making a movie on, like literally regardless, you should have experts that you're consulting with for a long time. Like you should dive into whatever it is you're talking about. So you don't look like a dumbass. And like, so you're representing yourself well and like representing whatever you're talking about. Like it's, it's not that hard. Like what it's funny too. Cause like there's other movies like, you know, that, was kind of a throwaway scene. Like, I watched The Big Short for the first time ever last night. Have you seen it? Yeah. There's a scene that bothers me so bad in that movie that no one else would care about. And it's Which when they're, they're in the casino in Vegas. And the two younger guys in the movie that were working with Brad Pitt just made the deal. And they're, like, kind of flashing through, like, different parts of the casino. And it's on the screen for, like, one second, maybe. And it is a Marine at a slot scene. And he's in his camis, and you are not allowed to be out in public in your camis. You have to be in a dress uniform. <laughs> and that's that really wild. bothered me so much. <laughs> and that's such a simple thing, but I like, and there's probably, there probably are many other people that have thought that. Like, that you oh, might yeah. Be, yeah. So that's, yeah. Yeah. I, I hear you. Um, but yeah, I agree with everything you said. Like, find an expert. But before we wrap this whole thing up, I want to know what is your beef with American Sniper? You're gonna take away from the video. Ah, no, I'll talk about it. I <laughs> here's my thing with that. Part one of it is just Chris Kyle in and of, in and of himself. On one hand, I think he was a really impressive sniper. He did a lot. Um, obviously, was an incredibly brave dude. Um, obviously, sacrificed a lot. But. There's a there's some weirdness around him. He's like he's lied about like medals. He's lied about like kill numbers. Um, he said some relatively questionable things in stuff he's written that I don't love. And also in terms of the movie in and of itself, I think it's an oversimplification of that war. I think it paints things so black and white. Um, and not to get too deep into it, but. I just don't think it was a black and white conflict. Um, And I'd feel like it borders on like, not propaganda, but like it borders on just like blind gung-ho-ness. And like, I have a massive appreciation for like a lot of war films, like the military, like my family, um, my dad, well, my dad was like a government contractor, but that's a whole nother story. But my grandfather was a, Second division, he fought through World War II. Like, uh, he was in the army. Like, I have a massive appreciation for the military, but I think you can't oversimplify that war in the same way the movie, like, The Green Berets, like, oversimplified Vietnam. When there's so many good movies that, like, like, accurately depicted what Vietnam was actually like and what it was like for the the men that were there. Like, Um, Beckett. Yeah. And I mean, you know, there's, there's a ton. So I just, it's so, it's just too black and white for me. Um, and you know, that probably goes into a lot of other things, but 
It's just not a movie I love. Um, I don't hate your opinion, by the way. This wasn't yeah. me coming to argue. I wanted to know deeper thoughts from you. So, yeah, I just think I don't know. It's it's a long conversation. I feel like it was just such a difficult conflict, and that movie just kind of makes it too black and white for me. I think that's the easiest way to say it. Yeah. Okay. Um, I think the movie that gets undershadowed so much by like that Lone Survivor is Thirteen Hours. That's the the one with um, Krasinski. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I, remember I think that. that one's very undershadowed. But one of the things I hate too is like when people use the term anti-war film. Like in my head, there's not many films that you can like. I would label a pro-war film. Because, like, if you look at stuff like Lone Survivor, Benghazi, Platoon, Full Metal Jacket, like, what about that is showing a good side of war that's saying why we should be there or, like, why you should sign up and go, you know? Yeah, I think, I mean, I think it's different in with even within those movies you just named. Um, I think... I think with Lone Survivor, like it just kind of paint it paints everything in like a it doesn't there's no there's no really negative there's nothing negative said about that war. Like there's nothing talked about in terms of like why we were there. Um I feel like it doesn't paint what he was doing as that even like mentally difficult for himself. Like I feel like he just is kind of this like golden hero that's able to just like handle everything. Nothing's really challenging. He's just like the best. And even like the other, like the other, um, uh, yeah, like the other guys in the movie, a lot of them are like portrayed kind of like in a bumbling way. And then it's like, oh, but like Chris, like he has us covered. Like we need Chris to like get the job done. But like everyone else is an idiot. Like that's not, that's just not real. Um, and I feel like it's kind of like, wait, are you still talking about Lone Survivor or American Sniper? I'm talking about American Sniper. Okay, okay. I was going to say, because in Lone Survivor, they highly talk about the other guys. Like, Yeah, no. I, I actually okay. I actually like that movie way, way, way more. Um, I do, too. I think it's way more interesting, and, like, I, I like the story that it tells. I, I think um, in that video, I uh, one of the movies I mentioned was The Outpost. If you have not watched that, go watch it. I haven't it. seen that one yet. It's, it's, dude, it's like, and it's just like, it literally just tells the story exactly how it happened um i think it was, it was camp heating and basically it was this literal little tiny camp at the bottom of a valley like it was literally surrounded by mountains and every single like so many people like commanders people in the military were like we need to abandon this position it's not defensible this is ridiculous to have anyone here and people and like higher ups were just like, no, we have to hold this. It's like strategically important. Like we can't leave. And like the guys there literally would like joke with each other. Like, yo, we're all going to die. Like there's, there's no shot that we can ever survive like an attack here. Um, and they ended up getting attacked. And like, that just tells, like it paints all the lead up. Um, it walks through every commander they had because they pretty much all died one at a time. Um, and it just kind of shows you what happened. And then when the attack did come, it was just absolutely insane. Uh, but they were able to, you know, a lot of them were able to survive and fight fight them off. But they got, like, basically completely overrun. Like, people were all in it. Um, and the combat was ridiculous. And it's just a very, like, real, grounded um, 
emotional movie. I, I love it. So okay. I would say watch it. All right. Before we wrap things, do you have a movie recommendation for this week? Um, I, I, do, do you have one first? I yeah, feel like I I had okay, cool. So mine, it's been talked about a lot on like kind of film bro TikTok, but like I feel like it's still not widely recognized. I'm going with Palm Springs. Haven't seen that. Okay, so it's a Hulu original, and it's only an hour and a half, like not long at all, but. It's um takes place on a wedding night and it's Andy Samberg and Kristen Milioti as the leads and JK Simmons is like a main side character. And it's like a groundhog day, like time loop type of thing. Uh that's I think it's one of my favorite time loop movies or like anything I've ever seen. And it's very good, uh very underrated. But you see Kristen Milioti and uh Andy Samberg and JK Simmons are the only ones stuck in this time loop. So they know how long they have been in this. And the whole presence of it is like, they kind of realize they can't die. So like you see funny scenes where they just take a plane up into the air and then crash it into the ground just because they know they're going to wake up the next day. Uh, The whole time JK Simmons thinks that Andy Samberg is the reason he is trapped in this time loop. So he is hunting him down. So like there'll be a scene where he's Andy Samberg's just talking and you'll see an arrow go through his heart. And he just wakes up. Like it's very funny and it's very good. That sounds wild. I feel like I would like that. Um, yeah, original. I think I'm gonna go with uh, Stranger Than Fiction I with Will Ferrell. That. It's it's Will Ferrell, and it's I'm kind of thinking of it because it's an opportunity he got to kind of um, go against his kind of type, and it's kind of a more serious movie. Basically, he plays this kind of everyday guy um he's a i want to say he's like an insurance or something he has some boring job but he's very like lonely it's kind of it's kind of in the same vein as the movies we talked about um just a very like regular guy um kind of depressed and he starts hearing um this voice in his head like narrating his day-to-day just narrating everything he does and it kind of comes and goes um and he finds out there's an author writing a book and he is the main character and it's an actual author in his world and you just kind of like follow his life and figure out like you go through the process of him like figuring out what's going on um there's a love story uh that's kind of nice that i like but dustin hoffman plays his therapist um queen latifah's in it maggie gyllenhaal it's just like a yeah just like that it's it's really good um I don't want to say too much. It's very much its own thing. It's one of my favorite things he's ever done, and he's so good in it. So I would say Stranger Than Fiction. This is where I lose a lot of the male audience, but I'm not a huge Will Ferrell fan. Yeah, I'm not. I think he's made a ton of garbage. Um, oh, thank God you feel the same way. Yeah, like mixed bag. Like I love a lot of his movies. He's made a ton of garbage. This is him actually acting, like getting okay. to actually act, and like I think you will like it. Dude, I. I understand the humor, and I, I still enjoy it, but I think Step Brothers is one of the more overrated comedies. See, I love Step Brothers. I, I also love, like, I love John C. Riley so much, so... I No, I enjoy it. But my thing is, like, people talk about it like it's the greatest comedy on God's green earth, and I just, I don't think it is. And I think you watch it once, and you can quote every line from it forever. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, comedy is... 
is subjective. Like there isn't just like one, like there's not just, you know, you're going to find different things funny than other people. And that's well, yeah. like what makes it great. So, yeah. Well, yeah. I'm like, that's the comedy is the hardest genre to talk about. Yeah. Because you know, I'm sure there's movies I think are hilarious that you just don't find enjoyable. Yeah, yeah for sure. And, you know, vice versa. Um, yeah. Like one of my favorite comedies of all time is probably Night's Tale. Like it's probably top three for me. I love a nice show. Yeah. And yeah. uh, like Beverly Hills Cop is up there for me. Yeah. And Night's Tale was like a huge part of like like growing up, I watched that all the time with my family. So I, I love that movie. Yeah, that movie's so good. Yeah. And that was my introduction to Paul Bettany. It wasn't Vision. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Paul Bettany's my and Paul Bettany is in Master and Commander, the movie I told you to watch with uh that Peter Weir directed. So definitely oh. it's him and Russell Crowe, just like that's the movie. So it's have you seen a beautiful mind? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Great. Great in that as well. Yeah. For sure. All right, brother. Well, it's been fun. It has. First episode of the Goodwill Podcasting. Yeah. Got to talk about two great movies. Um, and we'll be back in... <laughs> yeah, that's all right, though. We'll be back in two weeks. Talk about something else. I was going to say, is it, it wouldn't be us if we didn't get off the rails. Yeah, that's all right. Yeah. And who knows? We might have a guest on our next one. Yeah. Hopefully. I think so. Yeah. We're playing around with that idea right now. We got a few in mind. So keep an eye out. Yep. Till well, next time. In case I don't see you. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good evening. And good night. <laughs> Take care. <laughs> Later, brother.